welcome to VOICE. VOICE is part of Lives in Translation, the translation and interpreting program within the Spanish and Portuguese department at Rutgers University, Newark. With us today, we have Chantal Fishsang, designer and educator based in New York and New Jersey. Her practice serves a range of multidisciplinary projects focused on education, cross-cultural exchange, and social impact. And her capabilities range from brand identity, print, publication, and exhibition to interactive design. Along with her role as assistant professor of graphic design at Rutgers University, Newark, Chantal is a founding member of Intracollaborative, a team of designers and educators sharing a deep-seated interest in design and its relevance to the social sector. She integrates publicly engaged practice as part of a design education through her work at Express Newark as co-director of Visual Means and Design Consortium, two academic programs that model a design studio working experience in which faculty, students, researchers, and community partners engage in a collaborative design process to create impact in the city of Newark. Chantal was born in Israel, raised in Bolivia, and pursued higher education in the United States. Hi, Chantal. Welcome to Voice. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to um, engage in discussions with you and work with you. So thank you. Oh, thank you. It really has been such a delight to work with you through Lives in Translation. And I'm really excited for our future projects as well. Um, but before we cover your role as designer and as educator, I would love to chat about your cultural background. It really um, makes such a presence in your work. Um, okay. Um, so I am a Bolivian Jew, which is a rarity. I was born in Israel and grew up in the tropics of Santa Cruz, Bolivia. And um, my parents are children of Jewish immigrants who escaped anti-Semitism um, in Europe before and after World War II. Um, so I'm the grandchild of Jewish refugees and um, one Holocaust survivor. Um, so, you know, during the war, many countries refused to receive refugees, which is unfortunately something we still see today um, coming from other communities. Um, but Bolivia during that time was su sufficiently underdeveloped, I guess we should say, um, that it became an entry point and people later dispersed all around South America, mostly in Brazil, Argentina and Chile. Um, but my grandparents were some of the few that stayed. Mm -hmm. um, so I grew up there. And um, a little later, my mom and I moved to California. Um, and that's when I learned English during at the age of two, um, when I really started developing language. Mm -hmm. um, so being bilingual kind of stayed with me and helped me connect to other worlds through music and film and TV. Um, I'm, I'm a child of the 90s, so I watched a lot of TV. Uh, and then when I moved back to the US um, for college, um, and because my dad lived here, um, that's when I 
really started developing speech and vocabulary, but um, yeah. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think it, you know, we'll definitely dive a little deeper into that later on because I think it has such an impact on your work and um, everything that you do present day. Um, But one thing is that you mentioned the topic of bilingualism, that the fact that you recognize the importance of bilingualism so early on and you're now raising a bilingual daughter. um, How has this process been for you? Um. Well, my daughter is five and she's perfectly bilingual Um, from, yeah, from very young, she would recognize who to speak to in English and who to speak to in Spanish. Um, And she got, you know, everyone figured out Uh, she would naturally start a conversation in Spanish because that's what we speak uh, at home. But she would immediately switch gears, shake her head and translate in English if she would recognize that, you know, you have another team. Um, (laughs) And I think that that's kind of heightened her awareness, um, not just kind of like her observation skills, but also her sensibility towards people, Mm because she really pays attention to meaning, to the meaning of things and what people say, and she kind of thinks about it twice. so I don't know. I think it just happened naturally because at home, you know, my, my husband is Colombian, I'm Bolivian. We speak to each other in Spanish, but um, we work in English and she sees that and we work from home a lot. So I, I think that, yeah, it just ended up working naturally. Right, right. So young children being raised bilingual certainly have to follow those social cues to figure out which language to use and with which person and in what setting. Um, so it really is a great deal of focus that they have to pay on pay very early on. And it then results on a head start on tests of perspective taking and theory of mind, um, both of which are fundamental social and emotional skills. So I think it's so impressive that your daughter is doing this at the age of five. Yes. So one thing I hear from bilingual or parents of bilingual children is that sometimes they're a bit nervous when their child starts school and then their child makes one language you know more important language which is not what we would want but um it's just sometimes how it goes so how will you handle this or how will you continue to promote bilingualism with your daughter i think up until this point one thing that we've done is um, we also engage with, you know, her English, with speaking in, with her in English, um, because she watches TV in English, or, you know, there's music, um, there's books, we read both in English and Spanish, because we don't want her to feel that we are strange to that, to, to the language of her with her friends and her teachers and at school. Um, and then to kind of balance that, uh we both have very large families i mean hispanics jews you know so we connect a lot with our families um and we we have her kind of learn about the colloquialisms of of you know be you know speaking colombian spanish or bolivian language so we could say that she actually knows more languages um (laughs) So, you know, and, and connecting her with her cousins and grandparents. So it's it's natural to her. So I imagine 
that the 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 connections that she builds with with these people with her people is what i feel and hope will continue to um connect her with the with the language yeah i i I love that you're stressing the importance and the benefits of both languages to her so early on and this is such a main component of your identity which you shared with me in our first few conversations um, and continue to share with me. So this is certainly something that's so pronounced in your work and it's led you to develop and work on projects that create social impact and that certainly cause this significant positive shift in our society um, and also especially in the city of Newark. So I want to talk a bit about you as a designer, as an educator, and through Lives in Translation, um, I've personally been able to see your work within the Design Consortium and um, in designing and producing um, the web platform along with the comprehensive identity and branding for Lives in Translation and with the aim of supporting the growth and future management of LIT. So can you share your experience on this collaboration and, you know, from the very beginning to present day? Yeah, um, uh, I guess I, I could preface by saying that um, my identity has had a, an important impact in the way that I work as a designer and because our work is about communication. So um, I, I really started thinking about the importance of that or to or consciously thinking about how my my identity impacts my work in grad school when i was encouraged to design from immersion and and um self-reflection um so my history of thinking about belonging and and you know really started to carve a path to talk about immigration and identity and language and really starting to to think about how the work I do as a communicator and the development of, you know, educational materials or, I mean, just communication in general um, has such a, such a, an important um, relationship to who you are um, as a person. Right. So, um, so now I, I, um, I teach at Rutgers, I teach design, and I'm co-director of both the Design Consortium and Visual Means, which are two um, d- design programs that are connected to our um, design curriculum in the Department of Arts, Culture, and Media. And they are also um, resident partners at Express Newark. Um, the, the studio, the way that it works, um, it, it is a, it it engages collaboration between students, faculty, and community members of Newark. Um, so we engage in, um, the design process and together, together we establish a common goal based on the communication, um, needs of, our community partner. Mm-hmm. Um, the framework integrates um, kind of co-building and human-centered design within the process. So, um, and um, 
I should also say that we are we're kind of housed in a space, not right now, right now, just virtually, but um, usually normally we are housed at, a, at Express Newark, which is an arts incubator and creative space co-owned between the university and the Newark community. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we usually identify collaborators through a call of proposals, but we can and and we invite um, part um, organizations, researchers, educators, um, whoever is working uh, for to to impact the the, the Newark um, community positively. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have established partnerships like uh, the one with LIT through common um, research focuses between um, educators. Uh, such as myself and Jennifer Austin, who I initiated the the collaboration with in the spring of 2019. Um, So uh, our partnership, um, through our partnership, we've built the identity system for LIT. Uh, It integrates the branding of its affiliations and and programs such as the Research Advisory Council, who conducted the campus-wide multilingual survey last year. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we've done uh, data visualization for uh, the work that they've gathered. And now, of course, the identity for the voice podcast series here. (laughs) And so now we're finalizing the website for the for LIT, which is meant to support the program's operative system uh, and provide students and community members with the platform to enroll in the program and learn more about the program. But it also is meant to engage people in the richness of our community's diversity and highlight LIT as a model of um, how cities, multilingual cities, might provide interpretation services to its um, residents going forward. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like our way to our, uh, to leverage our diversity to meet the needs of the city. Um, and that's kind of our, our intention with, with how we're designing the site. So mm-hmm. It's such a beautiful initiative, um, motivated by your cultural background and also by your desire to advocate for those in marginalized groups. Um, so through your work with Lives in Translation in creating this identity, um, you're providing multilingual students a platform to share their linguistic abilities to those in the community of Newark seeking these language services, especially in a time where the demand is increasing. I think it's just fantastic all around. Um, and I I know we also are, I want to discuss a bit about um, you as co-founder of Intercollaborative, um, so a design collective with an emphasis on clients with social purpose. Um, how have you made your presence through your art in this unique partnership? Um, so Intra is a cohort of five designers and educators and friends. We, we met in grad school um, and we all work independently. Um, we've actually always worked remotely. So this mm-hmm. 
you know moment still it, we, we we had practice already <laughs> um we were kind of like all over new york city and because we're all also working in other things and teaching and you know we have one person in london um we've always kind of um worked this way uh but we we tackle project we come together to tackle projects that present collaborative potential and opportunities to highlight um, sustainable creative practices, for example, or to kind of tackle projects that involve education and social reform. So we've worked with the Center for Urban Pedagogy at one point. That was actually our first project, and it lasted years um, on to support rent regulation rights in New York City and San Francisco. Um, Then we've done work with AIGA, which is the American Institute of Graphic Arts, the the New York um, chapter. And we designed an exhibition showcasing design for social impact and relief all around New York City. Um, We've worked with the American Institute of Architects designing their identity, exhibition, publication, and website for um, ENIA, which is their Emerging New York Architects competition. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's kind of renowned. It happens, uh, I think it's yearly. Uh, And most recently, we worked with Newest Americans, our our kind of Rutgers relationship there, Mm -hmm. uh, redesigning their web platform. Wow. Yes, LAT currently has interns with Newest Americans, and the platform is just gorgeous. Um, But your work with Intercollaborative, it's such a unique working relationship in being able to come together while being in various cities and to work to solve complex issues and to develop design projects and materials um, which are aimed at social education and reform. Um, through this, it, it really is drawing such a sense of closeness, even when being apart. So now I'd like to discuss a project in which you were physically there, physically there within all the magic. Um, so I'd like to highlight your role as designer and organizer of the Murals for Justice that were produced in Newark, promoting racial justice and equity. And this was done on the weekend of June 27th when two of Newark's busiest streets were painted with enormous messages um, as a form of performative activism and allyship. And one was on MLK Boulevard with the words abolish white supremacy and one on Halsey Street with the words all black lives matter. Tell me a bit about this weekend. How was the idea developed and how was this launched and then produced? Yeah, well, this was actually a partnership um, mostly with my my colleagues from the um design the, my my design um program my my faculty colleagues and the city of newark and new arts justice so it was more a university city collaboration mm-hmm. um and that was such a highlight for all of us that were involved in that project um this happened like you said in july of 2020 following the death of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, and it was such an important moment of racial reckoning 
um, mm -hmm. for our country and, and Newark had shown such a love for its community through all the peaceful um, protests that they displayed. Um, so in response to the various murals kind of popping up and manifesting all over um, the country, um, our GD faculty envisioned um, a version of it in Newark. So um, Ned Drew, who is our ACM chair um, and also a designer and faculty member, uh, he called and said, we should do this. And I mean, gigantic typography <laughs> with messages for racial reform. Yes, yes, right. please, let's do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and um, Rebecca Jample, who is the co-director of Project for Empty Space and also mm -hmm. um, works as a project manager for several public art projects, um, she kind of led the organization aspect of it. Um, and then we also part, I mean, Jennifer Bernstein, who's also co-director of the Design Consortium and Visual Means, as well as NAD. Um, we, we, we partnered together with Salamisha Tillett, who's the director of New Arts Justice, also part of Express Newark. Um, and then all of us together connected with Fayemi Shakur, who is the Arts and Cultural Affairs Director of the City of Newark. And in perfect sync, um, she was working on a public arts initiative, um, and these murals ended up being the first rendition of the program. Wow. So it was really a really solid collaboration. And um, so I worked on the typography and the implementation method for the murals. We used um, a, a system that we, we use in typography one, which is enlarging letters within a grid system in order for the students to really understand the anatomy of typography. Um, right. I know I'm getting like too much into no, uh, I love this. The, the woods, <laughs> the woods of, of, of uh, design, but, um, we so the the intention was to articulate uh, articulate a, a process of collaboration within the system of the implementations of the letters that could mm -hmm. be drafted individually um, by small teams, and that was particularly important because we were, you know, practicing social distance, um, and we were just coming out of quarantine. Right. Um, people had only been out for the protests. So, um, and then in terms of design, um, I, I chose to work with a typeface called Martin, which mm -hmm. is a font designed by vocal type, um, named after Martin Luther King Jr. And it was, the, the typeface is um, inspired by the I am man signs carried by the mm -hmm. Memphis sanitation workers during um, their strike for equal treatment in 1968. Um, so what was so meaningful about the organization is that design students and alumni, you know, they mm -hmm. came out out of quarantine and would, were paired with local artists um, led by a few renowned ones in Newark, um, Mal Malcolm Rowling from Yender Productions and Laika Nuna Yawar, um, and also the Land Collective. 
And they worked together in drafting these letters and directed the, then the community members who came out that day to help paint the, the mm -hmm. large yellow letters. Um, and that is how we actually were able to produce two murals the same day, 20 feet high murals at once during a very rainy day. Um, wow. At some point, we even have um, the city bring the firefighters to wash off the, the rain, the, the yellow paint that was kind of like bleeding out of our letters it was so oh, terrible oh, and also no. amazing and then you know the rain stopped and we were able to repaint it was it was quite great and we we saw you know a lot of people feel quite um uh, a purpose that day um of course and it was it was magnificent of course of course that's so beautiful it's such a community project and to see you see especially being remote um we see community projects but we're seeing it more um through zoom whereas to be in it to feel it to see that emotion that is just indescribable and so beautiful um and then afterwards how the community reacts to it is just wonderful and it was blasted all over social media we had artists come in and do performative work on them um people you know sometimes record they dance they you know, it, it was it's it's great yeah it was and, and I, I know you mentioned that it was done in a day right yes it was done in a day that's <laughs> wow um so the fact that it was done in a day, but it's left this long-term effect in the city of Newark. Um, and, you know, Newark has always just been this this global city and the, the city of, um, per, I think that it, it just advocates for equality and um, for social change. So to see it in action, um, I just want to talk a bit more of kind of how, how were the emotions that day? How was the energy? Well, yeah, like I said, everyone felt a sense of purpose. Um, it was, it was, you know, it was a difficult moment for 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 many. Um, but at the same time, using that energy towards cr blasting th these streets that that we own and that we that we pass through um, with these messages of of um, of change uh or or you know describing we the future we want mm -hmm. um it was it was quite magic and quite magical and um and also seeing people get to know each other collaborate work together um and then seeing community members afterwards come in and and, and lend a hand i mean we even had um our our mayor Raz Baraka come in and paint a bit with us wow. um so yeah it was really special I love that I love that you referenced it as magical I really and I think so much of your work is um so that leads me to my last question um in your personal opinion and from your perspective um what would be your proudest and most significant work uh <laughs> that's a tough question be yeah because you know most of these projects um the ones i i enter um they are so connected to people and i become so attached to those relationships um but i i would say that 2020 with all its challenges 
presented some amazing opportunities for important work and I became a lot more connected to Newark and and to getting to know the city and, and the people that, the, the city in which I teach and, and really getting to know more people that work and live there um, mm -hmm. so and and then I also started working more on um, public space uh, on designing for public spaces and really experiencing interactions between messages and place and people um, really understanding what that means and I, so I can mention the last project I worked on um, at the end of 2020 which was mm -hmm. uh, which is called will you be my monument mm -hmm. uh, which is a part of the four corners public art initiative um, it is an interactive public art installation layered over the facade of a historic four-story building um, on Treat Place in Newark. Um, and it is a collaboration between me and um, Salamisha Tillett, who's the director of the New Arts Justice Program um, mm -hmm. that I mentioned before, and photographer Shahrazad Tillett. Um, and so the project is inspired by the removal of the Columbus statue in uh, Washington Park that happened last year in June. Um, and I should say that the, the removal was conducted by the city's administration. Um, mm -hmm. So the, in, and the installation stems from an image of an eight-year-old girl um, named Fatina who was there with her family celebrating her eighth birthday during the wow. removal. And so Shahrazad Tillet, she approached, who was there too with her sister, Salamisha, um, she approached the girl and her mother for a photo by asking her, will you be my monument? Wow. Yeah. And so this project adds to that current debate about the meaning and the permanence of monuments and mm -hmm. uh, as well as the conversation about um black girls invisibility and the lack of you know um construction around young women in american culture um so the design of the installation includes um, the, the, a large-scale version of Fatima's photo in conversation with a set of mirrors that are meant to reflect the diversity um, and, and the vibrancy of our Newarkers. Um, and it includes the question, will you be my monument, also set mm -hmm. in, in reflective surface mirror. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> And the, the top section includes a, a reinterpretation of the, the Columbus Monument base with mm -hmm. kind of the skyline afterwards. So kind of wow. this infinite idea. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, we're, we, we, we're planning on activating it. Um, at the end of the spring, Aliyah Allen from New Arts Justice uh, and Carrie Rosen from the Form Studio at Express Newark. They'll, they're they're going to host some series of public programs to encourage city um, participation and contribute mm -hmm. to these conversations. 
Wow, that's beautiful. Um, I, I have followed a bit of that work and it is breathtaking. Um, so I, I am just really excited to continue following your design talent. Um, and, you know, I, I really just want to thank you for this chat and for sharing your exceptional knowledge of design in the classroom and in the community. Um, it truly is always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to share about my work and um you know we we still have a lot to do so we'll we'll continue our conversations um so hopefully eventually we'll we'll be able to also bring in some of the students that worked um on the lit project and they can kind of talk about their experience as well the lives in translation program was created by a seed grant from the office of chancellor nancy cantor to Jennifer Austin, John Keane, Fran Barkowski, Andrew Gupta, and Tim Raphael. Special thank you to the School of Arts and Sciences Dean's Office, the Spanish and Portuguese Department at Rutgers University, Newark, previous chair of the Spanish and Portuguese Department, Kim Holton, and current chair of the Spanish and Portuguese Department, Jason Cortez. Graphic Arts by Chantal Fishang from the Design Consortium and Hisela Chaa, to Program Advisors Anna Dichter, Bradel Rijo, Randy Maldobom, and Jennifer Austin. Sound engineering by Isaac Jimenez and music by Jose Luis Iglesias. If you've enjoyed this episode, share with a friend and subscribe wherever you listen to. Thanks for listening to Voice. This is Stephanie Rodriguez.